Well, once again, good morning, everybody, and thank you for being here. Um, for those of you watching and listening, thank you for joining us live on either Facebook to there, that camera, or YouTube, which should be on that camera there. If you have any comments or questions, you want to know more about our church, send me your comments, questions um, there on YouTube or on Facebook, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, for those of you that are here, um, thank you. Uh, you guys have been faithful. You guys have been here, and I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I also just want to add to those who are watching, and consider Fresh Vision Church your home church, and you're just not sure whether it's time to come back. Well, um, if you haven't been here since March, um, it's been long enough. It's okay to come back. Um, again, we'll take the necessary precautions and the safety measures to ensure that all of you are safe. That you know that, especially if um, you have some pre-existing conditions or you're at risk. So, if you're on the fence, then I'm here to tell you that it's it's time. Um, it's okay to come back. Um, again, only if you you're ready and you want to come back. Um, obviously, I don't want anybody here that doesn't want to be here. I don't want you to feel pressured either. either. So that's all I want to say about that. Um, the, only, the, the only thing I just want to just mention is my um, website is fvcelp.org. And there you will find our COVID guidelines, um, information about our church. Uh, there's also a PayPal link that the Lord is leading you to, to give financially. Um, which helps us to pay the bills and pay the rent here. Uh, we hope that you're blessed after today's message and, and that uh, the Lord really speaks to you loudly and powerfully this morning. Well, this week we're going to be concluding our chapter-by-chapter chapter and verse-by-verse verse study of Luke's Gospel, which we began back in May Mother's Day, actually, of 2019. Today we're going to be reading and examining the final two events that Luke recorded here in this gospel narrative. We're first going to look at how a risen Jesus appeared to his disciples and what he did to confirm the reality of his resurrection. And in the last section, will be a really short section, Luke will share with us how Jesus Christ revealed himself when he ascended to heaven and the impact that it had on those who witnessed it. What I hope that these two passages will show you is that in Jesus, we have a risen Savior who is physically real and how his ascension proved that he not only conquered every enemy, but that he now reigns supremely. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, before we read today's passage, let's ask the Lord to, to speak to us through his word. Lord Jesus, as now as we open up 
your word, the words that you have said here. We ask that these words come alive and that they become real, Lord, that the seeds of your word will be deeply implanted into our hearts. And may it grow into strong, beautiful fruit. Show us the things that we need to know, Lord, individually and as a church. So bless this time. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And the word of God says, As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, having said this he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of the joy of their joy, he asked them, "Do you have anything here to eat?" So he gave them. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He told them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms." must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised as for you stay in the city until you are empowered from on high a pastor once shared a peculiar story from the bloody second battle of bull run in the civil war captain robert clark and his men were surrounded by confederate forces but refused to surrender. In the terrible battle that ensued, Clark's entire detachment was overrun. Listing as missing in action, Clark was presumed dead. But his family was notified. They sent a telegram asking for the return of his body. But Captain Clark was not dead. Separated from his deta detachment, he had hidden behind enemy lines for three days. And although wounded and hungry, Clark was able to make his way back to his headquarters in time to deal with his family's request. With aconic humor, he sent a telegram which read, Still have use for the body? We'll bring it back in person. Your loving son, Robert. The ironic footnote from a terrible war captures something of the astonishment which the disciples must have felt when Jesus unexpectedly appeared before them, when 
they thought he was dead. Now, before we start digging into this, uh, this passage we just read, I just want to go back for just a second to review what, what we covered last week, the end of what we covered last week, um, because it's relevant here. Last week when we ended with, we ended with Luke telling us how Cleopas and his companion had gone back to Jerusalem to inform the rest of the disciples how the Lord had appeared to them on the road to Emmaus and how he was rec- recognizable to them, how they recognized him after he had broken bread with them at a meal. Well, here Luke picks up the story by telling us what happened while they were meeting together that evening. So now as they were discussing the things they had witnessed, he himself, that is Jesus, stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace to you. Just as in verse 31, here again the Lord Jesus showed the remarkable nature of his resurrection existence by disappearing and appearing in supernatural ways. Now, as he appeared to them, he imparted to them the traditional Hebrew or Aramaic greeting of Shalom, which means peace, well-being, wholeness to all of you. These were words with new meaning now. Now that Jesus had risen from the dead, there was indeed peace, well-being, and wellness to all of them and to us as well. Now, true peace, now, because of his resurrection, true, pre- true peace could come between God and man and among men. Why is that? Because of his sacrifice on the cross. Romans 5.1 says that men and women can now have peace with God. And Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says that they can now enjoy peace, the peace of God. Yet, here's the thing. The only way their minds could rationalize that a dead person was standing there and talking to them was to assume that it was a ghost. Now, this wasn't the first time They thought this. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So it seems here this was the second time they, they thought they were seeing a ghost with Jesus. Just as they had done then, Here also, their emotions, minds were telling them. Their problem was that truth hadn't sunk in to become part of their emotions. Had they known and believed that Jesus was alive and expected his eventual appearance, they wouldn't have reacted this way. They wouldn't have had this terrifying response. Jesus, though, he knew their thoughts and feelings, 
and could see that their body language was speaking louder than their words. So he, cal so he calmly asked two questions. First, he asked, why are you troubled? See, by asking this, Jesus was exhorting them to set aside their feelings so that they can mentally grasp the reality of what they were seeing and hearing. You see, when people's judgments are clouded by their emotions, they'll have a hard time seeing even in the clearest light of truth. I once read that we must not allow our emotions to hold sway over our minds. Rather, we must seek to let the truth of God rule our minds. Our emotions must become subservient to the truth. So for this reason, it was necessary for the disciples to remain calm and composed so that they may obtain, receive the information without doubt or reserve. But the second question was this. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? By asking this, the Lord was exposing their doubts and suspicions as to who and what he was. No, he wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't even an angel or a figment of their imagination. It, it was really him. Had they not remembered what he told them about rising from the dead? But even if they didn't, even if they had forgotten, why didn't they believe those to whom he, whom he had appeared to? So rather than questioning what they were seeing, they should have expected to avoid the reality of the resurrection. Listen to what Spurgeon said about doubt. Doubt discovers difficulties, which it never solves. It creates hesitancy, despondency, despair. Its progress is the decay of comfort, the death of peace. Believe is the word which speaks life into a man, but doubt nails down his coffin. So then, in order to assure them that he was physically real, he urged them to look at his hands and feet, to touch him and believe. So they did just that. Now, although it's not mentioned here, we know that we know from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29 that the marks of his wounds on the cross were still visible. So why did they remain? Well, I suggest two reasons. First, to identify himself. You see, the nails, it was the nail prints that showed in unbelieving Thomas not only the reality of his resurrection, but the depth of his love. And second, to identify with us. See, church, 
you see everybody watching, listening, life is painful. It hurts. There are pains and problems abound. So often we find ourselves tempted to think that we can't stand it any longer or even handle it anymore. But then we hear Jesus say, when you think you can't handle it, look at my hands. And be reminded that I know the pain you're feeling, the pressure you're facing. When you think you can't stand it anymore, look at my feet and be reminded that I understand. This is the point the writer of Hebrews makes when he writes Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. But nevertheless, the physical reality still wasn't enough to overcome their emotional shock. In that moment, even though they were amazed, they still couldn't believe their eyes. Why? Well, verse 41 says that it was because of their joy. What they felt, that joy that they felt, is the same feeling we get when something seems too good to be true. It's therefore important to keep in mind that even feelings of joy can hinder faith as much as sadness and discouragement. So you may ask, what do you mean joy can hinder faith? Well, we have several other examples in the Bible where we see this kind of joy, that something was too good to be true, hindering faith. So here are some examples in Genesis chapter 45, verses 25 and 26. Jacob could not believe that Joseph was alive because the news seemed too good to be true. In Job chapter 9, verse 16, Job said that, that if God would have answered him, he would not have believed it. In Psalm 126, verse 1, it seemed too good to be true that God again turned Israel's that God again turned Israel's captivity. And lastly, in Acts chapter twelve, verses thirteen and fourteen, when Peter was set free from prison, the church didn't believe it. In each one of those instances, ladies and gentlemen. Their joy was so great that for a moment it became an impediment to their faith. Now, aware that some were slow to believe, our Lord gave them an additional piece of evidence to prove that He was real. So, to show them He still had human needs, He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Which, if you think about it, 
ghosts or spirits. They couldn't do that. Since they don't have physical stomachs, they don't have a physical digestive tract to take in food, digest it, and release it. They don't have any real body parts. And they don't need food to, to survive. Spirits and ghosts are supposed to be eternal. Supposed to be. So, as in verse 42 and 40, as, so as verse 42 and 43 tells us, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate in their presence. What this shows us is that not only could our risen Savior do things that normal humans couldn't do, like appear and disappear, but there were also certain aspects about him that he shared with normal people like you and me, like walking, talking, touching, and even feeling hungry. So why? Did it take a while for these things to sink in for the disciples? Well, to begin with, resurrection faith couldn't have been easy, natural, and automatic for them. You see, whatever they once thought and believed about life and death had been smashed to pieces when they saw her and touched the Lord. They had a certain way of thinking, and, and maybe each one of them had a certain belief about death and what happens after death. But now, all that was thrown out the window. Resurrection faith also required calm minds, a settling of emotions, and also a right mixture of both to believe that Jesus was risen. So considering these factors, taking all this, these things into mind and, and adding it all up, it makes sense why this would have taken time to, to understand, to, to get used to. Still, it took more than proof, reason, and self-composure. It was more than it took more than just that to to lead them to faith in the resurrection. As it was with the woman, with the women who first confronted the empty tomb, and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. For the disciples, real belief in Jesus, came through Jesus' words. So in verse 44, Jesus explained that His resurrection was a fulfillment of His own words to them. He told them that everything written about Him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, the three divisions of the Old Testament, had to be fulfilled. He showed them how there in the scriptures it predicted 
these three things. First, that he must suffer. If you're taking notes, you can find examples of these in Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21, and Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 9. Second, that he must rise again from the dead third day. And these passages can be seen in Psalm 16, verse 10, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. And third, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name, in His name, to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This, again, is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Isaiah 49, verse 6, and you will also mention it again here pretty soon. So you see, it was through the scriptures that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, to understand that as the Messiah, he had fulfilled God's divine plan of redemption for mankind. After all, they weren't going to be sent into the world to share their own personal experiences, but to share the truths of the Word of God. Now today, you cannot touch and feel the Lord Jesus, nor is it necessary that we do so, but we can rest our faith on the Word of God. Why? The Savior proved through them that the Bible is true. And if it's true, it can be trusted. And because it's eternal, all of it has or will be accomplished. Let me just share with you a couple of passages from the book of Isaiah that say this. The first found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the, flower, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. The second is in Isaiah 55, 11. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Therefore, whenever you open up your Bibles, you must read it carefully in order to find out what God wants to say to you through it. It's alive. It's real. God's Word it aren't just black and white and red pages or letters in, 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 in a book. It's not like any other text or any other history book or, or book that's out there. These are living and active words. They're eternal. They're the words of the living God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God 
Let me say that again. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Also, as I briefly mentioned last week, when Scripture is read correctly, it'll point you directly to Jesus, to all that he experienced, especially his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me give you a simple example of a story that's found in Genesis chapter 3 and how it points to our Lord and Savior. If you've read that story, you see that there Adam and Eve Adam and Eve, ashamed of their sin, tried to hide from God among the trees. Soon they were covering themselves with fig leaves. The Lord, though, had a different solution. He covers them not with vegetation, but with skins. That is, animal skins. Now, we're not told what creature, what innocent creature died to clothe the guilty. But this story shows us that through the sacrifice of his sinless son, God has now covered the guilty. You and me has covered all our sins with the innocent. Jesus. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. This means that everyone who has committed their life to Christ by faith has the status of having put on Christ. Now again, this is just one example, but the Old Testament is full of stories that point to Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and yes, also his eventual second coming. You just have to open up your spiritual eyes to see. And once your spiritual eyes are open, your heart can receive it. And your mind can understand it. You're going to see a story maybe from, again, Genesis or Daniel or, you know, or, you know, maybe a story of one of the, the, the kings, and Joshua and Proverbs and Psalms, Jeremiah. Maybe passages, stories that you've read a million times. And all of a sudden, you'll be like, whoa, I see Jesus in that. And it's going to shock you, surprise you, but it's also, you're also going to be amazed at how the Lord is speaking to you through that. And you're able to see that, oh, I see Jesus. And, <coughs> excuse me. So that's, again, one of the goals and aims that I have when I teach is to show you, regardless of what passage, 
where in the Old Testament, where in the Bible I'm teaching, whether it's from the Old Testament or New Testament, to show you where Jesus is in that, in that passage. But you can also find it, also find him doing your own, when you're doing your own devotionals, when you're doing your own readings. Look for him. And the again, the only one that can help you with this to open up your spiritual eyes is the Holy Spirit. You have to, he's got to be dwelling and living in you. And the only way that can happen is by being born again. By receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So again, as Jesus wrote down God's word, they began to understand the necessity for his suffering and death and how the cross related to the promise of the kingdom. What privilege it must have been to listen to a risen Jesus expound the word. But many of you know that privilege always brings responsibility. In verse 48, Jesus tells them that they now had a responsibility to be witnesses of all that he had said and done. A witness is somebody who sincerely tells what he has seen and heard. And the word witness is used in one way or another 29 times in the book of Acts. So although none of us have seen Jesus like the disciples, our own testimonies of how God saved us and transformed us makes us witnesses of his powerful work. As witnesses then, we need to be careful to stay in our lane. What do I mean by that? The Lord isn't sending us out to be judges or prosecuting attorneys to condemn the world or those who are in it. We're not, he's not sending us out into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our communities to stand there and judge others and condemn them to, to hell. That's not our role. That's not what he called us to do, to do. He's called each and every one of you just to be his witnesses, to tell others of your story, of how he changed your life, how you became born again, and how you, he helped you turn from sin. And, and maybe, again, the stories of being him releasing you from the bondage of, of maybe some addiction. Share that with others and tell them what God has done for you and in you. He's sending us out to be witnesses who point to Jesus Christ and to tell the lost, to tell lost sinners how to be saved. So now, how could an average group of people ever fulfill that kind of commission? 
are they going to be able to do all that? Well, Jesus tells them in verse 49, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And that's exactly what he did on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and empowered them to preach the word. Thereafter, Acts chapter 4, verse 33 says that the Spirit continued to fill them with great power. Christian brothers and sisters, witnessing isn't something that we do for the Lord. It's something that He does through us. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a big difference between a sales talk and a spirit-empowered witness. People don't come to Christ at the end of an argument, said Vance Havner. Simon Peter came to Jesus because Andrew went after him with a testimony. So, my fellow believers, if you really want to be a good witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of grace, remove your ego and every other self-taught or self-made skill. By doing that, your entire witness will be on the authority of His name and solely rely on the power of His Spirit. You see, when you willingly surrender yourself to Him and walk in obedience, God releases His power through you in these three ways. First, He releases His power through the fruit of the Spirit. God's power and only God's power will enable you to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which reveal the character of Christ. We don't see a lot of that in our world today with what's going on in some of these cities in our country. We see the opposite of this. That this is how you know that you are, that His power is working through you. If this stuff doesn't, you just want to love those people, even though they're angry and mad and want to, want they want to destroy and lash out. And you have compassion, sympathy for them. You just want to love them and 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 again share the good news to them. Second, he releases it through witnessing. Scripture always refers to the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship to witnessing and glorifying God. It's His power through you that will embolden you to carry out the work. And third, 
He releases it through the work you're called to do. God will not place you in a position or ask you to accomplish a task for which He will not fully equip and enable you. So, I think with the, some of the time we have left, I want, now want to move ahead and read the last three verses of this gospel. So if you still have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn again to Luke chapter 24 and turn to verse 50. Luke chapter Luke chapter 24, verse 50. Those final three verses say, Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up to heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. That is the end of the Gospel of Luke. Now, one of the things that I like about the Marvel franchise movies are the scenes that appear at the end of the title screens. Or the credits, I mean. I like them because they give you a little surprise, short hint of what you may expect in their next movie. Or that there'll be another, you know, part two or whatnot. Well, here, this passage, this short passage is kind of like that, if you really think about it. It's kind of like one of those short scenes at the end of, at the end of the credits of Iron Man or Hulk or one of the Avenger movies gives you a preview of what's to come. Here, Luke concluded this gospel with an abbreviated account of the ascension of Christ, which took place 40 days after his resurrection. In verse 50, Luke informs us, informs us that Jesus led the disciples toward his favorite place near Jerusalem, the city of Bethany. Now, Bethany was just across the north of Jerusalem and was where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. There the Lord prayed for his followers and blessed them. Then the unexpected came. Jesus disappeared. This time, though, he disappeared for good. He ascended to heaven. Now, if you don't know what ascended means, all it means is he was lifted up to heaven. Descended is lowered, ascended is raised. Now, Luke doesn't really give us a lot of details of this. He simply ends Christ's earthly ministry with the simple words, with simple words, he left them and was taken up to heaven. In verse 36, Jesus said that he would 
enter His glory. Well, here, He fulfills His word. Now the church cannot expect to see the resurrected Christ again. They must wait for the promised Spirit. However, the church no longer grieves. Jesus' final disappearance does not bring mourning or sadness. It brings joy and worship. The church has heard the resurrection story. His followers have seen the resurrected Lord. They have experienced the spiritual presence in the breaking of the bread. They believe in the resurrected Lord and can tell the story of His resurrection. They can, they can show that Scripture prepared for the Messiah to come to earth, minister, be betrayed, suffer, die, and be resurrected. They can preach in the name of Jesus. They can call for repentance. They can promise forgiveness. But only after the Spirit comes. Until then, until then, they were to stay in Jerusalem, stay at the temple. They were told to work from the center of Judaism and preach Christ. Pray, give thanks, express joy, worship, wait for the Spirit. He will come in volume two, the book of Acts. So now, ladies and gentlemen, in heaven today, our Lord, our Savior, the risen physical Jesus Christ is still ministering to us as our, heart, as our high priest and our advocate. According to Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16, as high priest, he gives us the grace we need to face testing and temptation. And in 1 John, and in 1 John chapter 6, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1 verses 6 through 10, it says that if we fail as advocate, he forgives and restores us when we confess our sins. Additionally, we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Hebrews chapter 13 that as the glorified head of the church, Jesus Christ is equipping his people to live for Him and serve Him in the present world. Right now, He's ministering to you through the Word of God and prayer. And He's ministering to you by His Spirit, making you more like Himself. Oh, and by the way, in case you may not know, he's also preparing in heaven a home for his people, according to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And one day he will return to take us, to take you, to be with him forever and ever. Friends, Luke's gospel opened with devout believers at the temple. 
praying for the long-expected Messiah. It closes at the same place with devout believers praising and blessing God for answered prayer and for the accomplished and for accomplished redemption. It's a lovely climax to what someone called the most beautiful book in the world. Now, I want to end, I do want to end our time together by doing what he wanted us to do to remember him. I think it would just be appropriate for us to do that. So in a minute, we'll, in a bit, we'll be partaking in communion together as a church. But before we do that, I want to invite those who have never accepted Jesus Christ <coughs> as their Lord and Savior to come to the cross. So if you're watching and listening and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of your sins, and know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you will be in paradise for all of eternity. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to be born again so that the Spirit again may make His home in you. So the Word of God may come alive to you so that you may understand it. I remember trying to read this the bible as a non-christian and it just didn't make sense i didn't get it it was foreign to me even though the words were in english i didn't understand it i read stories and you know comic books that were out there that my mom would sometimes get from little retreats that she would go to and they would be like, wow, awesome stories, but actually opening the, up the Bible and reading it, it just, it, I didn't get it. So if that's where you're at, if, if you want to understand, if you want to get it, if you want to open up the Word of God and say, and, and, and read it with spiritual eyes, then yes, you must be born again. You must be spiritually alive. So, if you're ready to turn from your sins and be forgiven of all your sins, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. So, wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray this with all sincerity. In the bottom of your heart, pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose. I now turn for my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that He may help guide me in my newborn again life.
in your name. Amen. If you prayed that, let us know. Contact us. We want to hear all about it. We want to celebrate with you and maybe encourage you. If you need a Bible, we can send one to you. Um, if you need prayer, we can do that too. So uh, leave us a comment um, on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, on our, you can also do that on our webpage, on our homepage of our website. Uh, you can call, leave a message. There are several ways you can do that. Send us a letter through the mail. We'd love to hear how you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and minister to you. This has been an amazing journey going through Luke chapter 24, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I definitely have learned a lot myself studying it and presenting it to you. So I hope that you, it was just as enjoyable for you that you, the Lord really showed you some new things here. And, you know, I also encourage you to go back and maybe go over some of these chapters that we covered all the way back, you know, when we began back in May of 2019. So thank you again for, for, being with us through this entire journey. Um, next week we'll be doing something new, and in a couple of weeks we'll be beginning a new a new book in the Word of God and starting over chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We hope that you, for those of you watching, listening, that you were blessed, and that um, you know that God just really, really spoke to you powerful, mighty way. So I look forward to seeing you all next week. Um, and thank you again for being with us. So goodbye and farewell, my friends.